Today's episode of the Rough Drafts podcast is brought to you by Unicorn.com, the world's premier esports betting site. Their esports book covers all of your favorite titles, including League of Legends. Bet for free with Unicorns, which you can use to enter raffles for gaming prizes, and even earn Unicorns just by playing your favorite games. Some regions can even place real money bets. And while you're there, be sure to check out the esports news page where you can read great articles from their writing staff, including me, your host, Chase Redshirt King Wassenaar. It's time to put your esports expertise to the test. Log on today. Hello, Internet. This is Chase Redshirt King Wassenaar, and welcome to the Rough Drafts Podcast. Uh, we are here at the World Championship semifinal round. It's so exciting to, to kind of see what those quarterfinal match, uh, matchups really taught us about this event. I really feel like a couple teams well exceeded our expectations, and there's a, a lot to break down in terms of how those quarterfinals played out. And I am joined today by uh, Heckmeister, a writer at Esports Heaven, an Illegal Legends analyst, and, and just a very interesting guy to talk to. How are you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing great. I get to talk about League of Legends, and uh, specifically, I get to start with this wonderful Longju versus Samsung match, which, as someone who has worshipped at the altar of BDD, uh, it was a little bit hard to watch exactly how that fell off, but I feel like there was this leap uh, that Samsung made between the group stage and this series that just was super impressive, specifically in the jungle matchup. So what is it that you saw that really allowed the Samsung team that couldn't even win their group to come out with such a strong, dominant 3-0 performance in the series? First of all, as someone who has Bowed at the feet of Cuve, this game gives me so many orgasms. <laughs> totally. Fair. But more to the point. More to the point. Um, this wasn't. This was mainly to do with both ambition and Cuve being able to draw the map back towards them, as opposed to 100% focus the bottom lane. Because honestly, Ruler and Core JJ versus Prey and Gorilla, that is a very one-sided matchup normally. Towards Brain Gorilla's favorite, they are just that much better. But what surprised me the most was uh, the fact that Ruler and Core JJ did hold their own, because Ruler has this ability to be either the most hype, crazy outplaying AD carry you've ever seen, or he'll walk melee range into a Galio. <laughs> there is no in between with Ruler; he's one or the other. But they managed to not sometimes even win lane, like in game one with uh, Ruler going on Tristana versus Prey Zaya. They that was a very fantastic, that was very well played from them. But like I said at the start, the thing is, Kuve was given freedom to be Kuve. A lot of people came into worlds very hyped up on Khan, carry top laner. He could do so many things. He could draw so much attention. He would free up Cuz. He would free up Brain Gorilla. And that's mostly how Longju won. Like the ability of Khan to either outplay his opponent or him causing the enemy team to focus attention onto him, allowing the rest of the map to just play out. BDD was a solid mid laner. Nothing fantastic during the. LCK, but solid. He used to do his job. He was good at it. And he has a fantastic Talia. Absolutely great. Yeah. So the main tipping point will always be Ambition versus Cuz. First of all, Cuz is new. He's pretty much a rookie jungler coming into this. First season of LCK, and he won it. So there's already that pressure factor into, into play. But even if we were to discount that... 
Ambition just got to do what Ambition has always done in the jungle, which is walk in, have a small fight here and there, force the enemy jungler to waste his time. The more time Kaz's time was wasted, the more time Kuve had to put pressure top, more time Crown had to uh, farm up, and the more time Ruler and Core JJ had to 2v2 Prey and Gorilla. It's essentially what happened. Ambition just was capable of finding Cuz and nullifying him. Without that jungle pressure, the threat of the jungler being there, Kuve is free to simply push in Khan because anyone who has seen that series will know that Kuve is no pushover. He is, by and large, considered the best top laner in LCK, despite the hype being around Khan. People who actually watch most LCK will tell you that Kuve does what Khan does but also can play all of the tanks, all of the supports. All, Kuve can do everything. Mm-hmm. Actually, scratch that. He might not be the best in LCK because Smeb was still there, but he's definitely the best at Worlds. Yes. I mean, Smeb, is, Smeb has got to be one of the... It, it's just a friendly reminder that that KT team is has so much talent and would have been super fun to watch if they actually learned how to play together like a team, which just unfortunately didn't really come together for them. But yeah, I, I think... You nailed it on this idea of just how impactful uh, Kuve uh, reminded us that he can be. Uh, there were a lot of moments in which you saw that his split push was more effective than what Khan was putting out there. And I think that that's something that isn't necessarily surprising when you take Kuve's whole career into account and certainly some of the consistency he showed in the regular season. But it, I think a lot of people look at like that Jax pick in game one and they're just expecting Khan to be able to to pop off and make that individual impact that just didn't really happen. And it also didn't really happen in game three on that Trundle, another pick. You feel like that's a lane matchup that you would want if you're a carry top laner like Khan. But he wasn't able to find those openings. And that just, I think, speaks so well to how Kuve played out those lanes and, you know, in, in games two and three, using those Shen Globals to really influence the map in, in such a huge way. Um, I, I also, I, I want to say for BDD, as someone who is a, a big fan, I was very surprised that Longju banned out the Galio on blue side on uh, in both of their first two games. I feel like he is one of the best Galio players in the world, just in terms of how Longju likes to play out those laning phases and really get to that mid-game spike. And I don't know why they abandoned that. It did feel like BDD was overconfident in getting those 1v1s in the mid lane. And so he wanted to have those carry champions, wanted to try to uh, take out Crown, who I think was considered one of the weaker members of this team heading into this round. And and, and I guess that's, that's another thing that I, I do kind of want to hear where you're where you're thinking in terms of what's next for samsung is this a, a style that they can continue with as, as the tournament moves on where they just focus on getting you know the side lanes are, are doing their bit and crown despite some of the landing disadvantages he has just has this hard cc uh on something like a malzahar or, or this roaming potential that adds a utility to him or is that something that could be exploited as we move forward I think there's a lot to take into account with Samsung and take this win with a grain of salt. Because Samsung has demonstrated during the regular split of the summer season that they are capable of being giant killers, but the next week being the Samsung we saw in week two, I think it was, of Worlds. The one where we were week two or one. I don't remember, but they were very weak in like that week. So you don't know what Samsung you're going to get. Also, the Galio, I think, um, I think because at this point, I know that Crown, that uh, people consider Malzahar a counter to Galio. <laughs> and if you hold that Galio down long enough, you've essentially won the fight because you could blow up the person he would have ulted. And then at that point, Galio's left there in melee range without being able to do much except with his W. A lot of cases in which we see Galio winning, it's cases in which a fight starts and then Galio enters, as opposed to the fight starting on the Galio. If any fight were to start on the Galio, the Galio dies, and that's it, you've won the fight. 
even if you trade one for one with the Galio, the team in the advantage is the one that has killed the Galio. So, Crown, I think, is... I'm glad that he's not feeding, is probably the way to put it. Because, while yes, in game two, he had that Talia performance and he was very good. We all know that most Korean mid laners are very good on Talia. It's nothing new. But you need, nobody should focus on Crown. Take away from the series, do not focus on Crown. Because he was not instrumental to Samsung's wins. And again, taking away the Galio also plays into taking that away from Crown. Taking that away from uh, someone who has been struggling this year. Take that away from him. Force him to play something that has slightly more risk, slightly more squishiness to it. That isn't just a free lane. Because anybody who plays Galio just clear the wave, walk up and down. That's as much as it. So, I think the Galio, and if BDD is not planning to play it, if BDD is planning to be aggressive, you're not going to take the Galio top for Khan. Khan has not been a great tank player. Amazing carry, probably even a better carry top than every other top laner on uh, on the LCK. But he just doesn't do enough for a team to be considered the best top laner. Mm-hmm. So I think one of the things that will be interesting is watching Ambition. He will be the reason Samsung wins or loses the semis, simply because... He does not change his style. Nobody should mistake that uh, Samsung's win over Longju as Samsung a change of style. This is the Samsung we know and love and sometimes hate <laughs> because Ambition will inevitably walk into the enemy team's jungle anywhere from four to six minutes. Sometimes earlier, depending on the matchup, if he has something like an Elise, he'll just rush to level three and walk in just to try and spot, see if he can harass find his footing in the enemy jungle. How do you counter that? Well, you have pushing lanes and react to him first, but then that maybe forces you into having a worse later game matchup. So there's a lot to take into consideration, and it all hinges on how Ambition plays to you and how you play towards him. And that's probably the biggest thing that we'll we'll notice in, in the semis if, I think, Royal they're up against? Or are they, no. Oh, they're on Team w. WE. Yeah, which is one of those things where you talk about a team that likes to get these pushing lanes, uh, that's something I think that WE is going to be pretty comfortable drafting towards. Um, I think that's something that is going to provide okay. a very interesting uh, matchup for Samsung as they just, you know, honestly, I think a lot of it is is points of those consistency issues that you've pointed out uh, in the LCK. And, you know, the group stage happened, right? You know, we saw what happens if this team doesn't get this momentum behind them, especially in the early game. You know, I, a- ambition needs to get those first couple kills, and, and then suddenly the rest of this team, you know, ruler has less pressure on him because the rest of his team's doing well. So then the positioning mistakes hopefully aren't as big of a deal if they're there because he's not panicking to be the playmaker in that regard. Um, certainly, uh, you just see the impact that Kuve can have when when you're able to kind of uh, open up the map for him and, and let his um, kind of flexibility guide a lot of what you're looking to accomplish uh, as the game moves forward. So I, I think that the tools are there, and I, I think you're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Keeping Crown down, even trying to ban him out, well, he just played the Lissandra, which I thought was a brilliant pick for them to kind of alter into because it does the thing that Crown needs to do, which is have some mobility, give yourself some hard CC lockdown that your team can take advantage of. Uh, I, I, I think that you have to assume that Crown's always going to have that. So what can you do to keep the side waves from getting out of control so that they're not necessarily able to to capitalize on, on what Crown is bringing? Because Crown is not the guy that's going to ultimately beat you. Um, so uh, I, I think that's, uh, that's going to be uh, enough on this match. I want to get into the next one because this is the one I'm most excited to talk to you about. Hashtag euphoria. Hashtag euphoria. Absolutely. Uh, I am. It's, it's one of those series where even in a loss, I feel so excited about the future uh, of this misfits team uh, in their series against SKT. 
I mean, as someone who who loves European League uh, and enjoys watching Misfits, what was the most exciting part of this series for you as you watched this team continue to develop here? Uh, I think the most exciting part was Hans, Sama, and Ignar, that bottom lane. Ooh, sweet baby Jesus, that bottom lane. Mm-hmm. That was amazing to watch. And that guarantee, this game guarantees that all five of those players are now superstars. Absolutely, 100% made people. And had they won this, they would have straight up become legends. Mm-hmm. But I think... The biggest takeaway for me will still be Hansam and Ignar. Them as a duo, them as individuals, how they played. That was just absolutely fantastic and could not be more proud of them both. Mm-hmm. Especially as Ignar, because Ignar, I've seen him be good in the LCK. I've never seen him be this good in the LCK. I mean, he's been absolutely nuts. And I think that there's such a, a big difference to me and how Misfits plays when they put him on a proactive champion that can get those engages, get those hooks, uh, and, and kind of use that roaming power to really keep their opponent off guard uh, versus something that's more passive. You know, the Arden Sensor meta is there for a reason, and there is certainly a lot of power to it, but that's just not what's enabled the best Misfits comp. Uh, you know, they, they are much stronger when those engage opportunities are happening in the mid game when he can make those dives and, and really uh, abuse some of those laning matchups and you see something like his leona in game three and you just can't help but, but smile and, and enjoy just you know a champion that we didn't expect by any means to be showing up on this international stage but it does all of the things that we want ignar to do when misfits is firing on all directions uh and and that's Really fun to see. I, I think that he and Hansama absolutely need to, to stick together and continue to grow because they've just, over the course of this year, have gotten a much better idea of what the other one is looking for in those lane matchups. And they've become a very scary weapon for this Misfits team moving forward. I do want to direct that towards, you know, as SKT is the one that's moving on in this tournament, right? That, is this... A situation where we look at, you know, this bot lane and you just say, oh, well, Hansama and Ignar are just so good that, you know, it's it's understandable that SKT struggled against this? Or is this an indictment of the, the uh, carry potential of Bang and Wolf that we've seen at previous events like MSI? It would have to be a bit of both, definitely. I mean, as much as you want to praise uh, Misfits, you have to. Mention that Bang and Wolf has simply not been the formidable duo they used to be, and spe- specifically Bang. It seems like he is sometimes absent from the majority of these games. Like Faker has to pull his load as well, aside from just Hooney and Blanks and Peanuts. And it, that has been noticeable, like more of the carry burden focusing again on Faker, which, if you're going to have one singular carry, who better to have? But again, I feel like um, it's still hard to judge because in game one, for example, when uh, uh, SKT absolutely smashed Misfits, Bang was doing fine. He wasn't crazy popping off, but he was doing the job. He was good damage. He was positioned well. But it just seemed like once the engage picks from Misfits came in, Bang simply did not know what to do with himself. Like, he wasn't used to it anymore, and he could not prevent what was happening from happening, especially the Vayne game. That was just absurdly wrong from Bang. He just could not catch a break. His condemns were completely off-timing. He could not get Ignar off of him. He could not kite. He would simply walk into a fight and either get forced away or blown up. He died like tw- I think twice in lane or something to simply ignore and Hansammer dropping there, dropping on him. He would not simply not be able to participate in fights as much as he'd want to. And that is both a combination of Bang slipping up and Ignar just forcing him off. It wasn't you can't put the entire load of that on simply Bang. Mm-hmm. I will say though, the bigger surprise is. Watching Blank being subbed in 
uh, at game three, four, and five, and not being as much of a change for SK Telecom as you'd think. Because previously, what used to happen is Peanut would just start like they usually did, like they did here. Depending on win loss, if a loss was too heavy, Peanut would get subbed out for blank, and after that, most of the times it's smooth sailing. Sometimes it isn't. This is one of the cases where it isn't. But most of the times it's, it's smooth sailing because Blank simply gets how to be much more, I want to say active. Yeah, he's much more active around the map than uh, Peanut is. Peanut is, while he is aggressive at times, he's much more aggressive towards the enemy jungler as rather than the lanes. Blank will cover the lanes a lot better. Blank will keep much more better vision. But I must say, um, the thing, the reason why we keep harping on Hansama and Ignar being as good as they are is, first of all, Hansama in one of those games straight up looked like he was scripting. Like he dodged every skill shot, every auto attack. Like he would dodge everything. Nothing would hit him. It looked like it looked mental, crazy good. Mm-hmm. And the only the surprise came in game four, where they almost won that game. Misfits did. Had they not dove that inhibitor turret, which will stick in my mind for years. Yeah. Because I went back and watched that in slow motion, and what the trundle that they were auto-attacking, which they shouldn't have been doing in the first place, but they were killing Huni's trundle. And at that point, the trundle survived with single-digit HP. Before he got his ultimate off. And once he got his ultimate off, he instantly healed for about 20% of his health. And, you know, he could survive for so much longer. He put down the pillar. And um, Wolf's Braum put down his ultimate as well. So that they were stuck all together under the inhibitor turret with Faker and Bang. I think it was Faker, yeah, with Faker and Bang free hitting them from the side. Completely untouched. That moment right there, if Huni if dies with that single-digit HP, if it were a red buff burn or a corrupting potion burn or even a deathfire touch burn, if Huni dies at that point, neither does the pillar go off nor does Trundle's ultimate. That would have been a complete wipe and Misfits would have won that game. And I am still salty and I will forever be salty about that because they were so close could taste it and I'm pretty sure that uh, it's eventually what uh, they're thinking to themselves as well like they were that close yeah it really I mean and and that's the thing right we look at you know misfits really in, in many ways deserve to win that series uh, I, I think that they were the better team throughout the majority of these games and and you're right you know that that it uh, inhib tower dive you know, it, it, it was such a close fight. I'm not sure that they needed to push that far forward. I, I think it was one of those things where, you know, that everything was going their way and there's those momentum around. So, you, you know, the, the instinct is to go for the immediate play. Uh, and it certainly, it, it almost worked. And and I'm not sure, you know, we're, we're not criticizing it the same way, obviously, if the play does pull itself together. Um mm-hmm. But it is one of those things where because it didn't work out, you have to look at that decision and you know, be like, that, that was really the one way this game could go wrong, is if they gave up that big fight under the inhibitor tower, that, which then would allow SKT to get back out on the map, get their vision shored up, get some, uh, some resources to really push the lanes away. And it just it was so tough for them to recover. But you know, in game five, like, I also felt like that was a game that they very easily could have won. You know, if they don't lose that Elder Dragon at the 36-minute mark, it, it felt like they were starting to claw their way back in. They'd gotten that Baron. They had Triple Infernal Drake. Uh, they had a composition that I felt could really start turning things around. And, you know, it, it just comes down to, you know, Maxlor misses the smite compared to Blank. And SKT are able to clean up the game from the ensuing victory off of that. So... It's it really was down to those two moments. And ultimately, I, I guess what we then have to look at is SKT survives those moments. And I I 
have to imagine that when we look at One why that happened. I interject on that. Okay. On the smite, um, that was more like that situation was more lost on Huni's teleport than it was on the smite. But yeah, I get your point. Mm -hmm. Because the Huni teleport landed him right behind um, Power of Evil, Syndra, and Hansama's Varus, and he managed to just DPS them both down. Mm -hmm. If they had kited that fight downwards in the river, they might have been stood a better chance because at that point, I think SKT only had one dragon. Let me check the stats. Uh, yeah, yeah, they'd they had they one had, Cloud Drake, which wasn't really doing anything from at that point. Which wasn't really doing much, and the burn was really going to be irrelevant. They had a lot of power on uh, Power of Evil at that point, and then Power of Evil didn't get to alt. Um, yeah. I heard his intended target that fight, so it's like that fight just went all the way south after that teleport. But yeah, it's just down to that one moment going slightly differently that would have changed the entire conversation right now. Because if we were, if Misfits win any of those two, that would probably right now that would make the league scene just explode with excitement. Because as much as we enjoy Faker, and as much as we may enjoy Huni, as much as we may enjoy Peanut, Bang, Wolf, Blank, any of them, it would still be the, f if they managed to win it, this is the fourth title of SK Telecom. Not necessarily saying it's boring, but a shakeup would just revitalize the entire world scene at that very moment, and would make, it would instantly make five legends right there with that one win. Despite, and we should always look at these games in context. Like, sure, SK Telecom was slumping, and this is far from the best version of SK Telecom we've seen this very year. Mm -hmm. But you need to remember that Misfits was given zero chance. Even into the slumping SK Telecom, this team of five players was given absolutely zero chance at winning the entire thing. And that's always something we should keep in mind. Always look at these games with context and everything will be a lot more fun. Oh, I think undoubtedly. I, it, honestly, this was a team that wasn't expected to get out of the group stage, right? The majority of Pick'em exactly. people had them at fourth in that group. I did. And I yeah, did. I shouldn't have doubted. I should have not doubted. I, this is... Funny. It's one of those things where I, I look at Misfits in, in particular, and I, I loved that team uh, in the regular season. I was one of the uh, few analysts who, at the beginning of... Uh, the preseason, I, I thought that this was a team that was going to be a, a finalist because I saw the potential of these guys. But I think they have far exceeded anyone's expectation when you look at just how much they've grown in such a short period of time. And so much of that comes down to the coaching staff really putting their faith in them to make the Big most. shout out to all of those guys. They are amazing people. Yeah. Uh, this uh, had, had good conversation. Had good conversations with all of them uh especially with uh, inner flame who's the general manager fantastic chap couldn't happen to a better guy yeah i mean a great great group of people a very intelligent and and it is one of those things where you know as, as far as i'm concerned this is proof that the gap can indeed close i i don't think the fact that misfits didn't win this series should prevent the hype that we have that change-up is possible. It really does come down to a couple moments and suddenly we'd have a European team beating the three-time defending champs and the best player in the world. And I, I don't think that we should ignore how close they were to that accomplishment. I think that this is a team that is very young, that can continue to get better. Uh, Maxlor looks like a very promising jungler moving forward. Indeed. Uh, he and, and it's a testament to me of how to build a team and how to trust in your team when it matters most because this is a team that changed up a lot of their strategy very late into the EU LCS season going from power of evil being focused and getting like all of the resources to giving the spot lane more of a chance and trusting that they can carry trusting that Maxler can play around these shifting lanes well trusting that these guys can put it all together when it matters most I think a lot of teams if you look at like a TSM you know, they, they tr play it safe. They go with what the meta is telling them to do. They go with what they think, quote-unquote, good League of Legends looks like. And Misfits, to me, are, are the perfect testament to a team trusting the guys that they have, 
playing to the win condition that their roster provides and, and trusting that they can step up when it matters most. And, and they were rewarded for that, I think. And, and I hope they continue to be rewarded as, as they move forward. Uh, and any final thoughts before we move on to the next uh, the next series here? Yes, Ignar woke up that day and said, F*** the ardent meta. I'm <laughs> making my meta. Yeah, he did. That's all. Yeah, I and I love that. And I, I hope that we see more underdogs in the future really taking advantage of those moments and, and playing to their strengths. Because it turns out when you do the thing that you're good at, you can be pretty good at it. Uh, let's move on to Royal Never Give Up versus Fnatic. Um, mm. Fnatic... I don't know what we expected heading into this series. It was a team that, in my mind, did not look great until, you know, really that 4-0 streak in the second week we look at as like, oh, yeah, well, they stepped up and that kind of veteran experience really came through for them in the clutch. But they also took advantage of an Immortals team that was spiraling uh, you know, panicking really uh, when the pressure was on, and this Gigabyte Marines team, you would hope that you can power through a, a wild card team. So, I-, I guess as you look at Fnatic here, what went wrong for them, both in this series and really at the event as a whole, uh, that you think is going to continue to stick with this team as we head into 2018? That is, well, on the surface, it's an easy answer. Um, stop focusing everything on bottom lane because it is, well, you're, well, we have convinced ourselves that Reckless can be the focus of a team after, after, yes, after the semifinal, the quarterfinal, I don't think that can any longer be the case. I think the problem with Fnatic is that if they had given all of the chips to SOAS to perform from the beginning, they wouldn't be in as deep as a hole as they were after week one. Because when SOAS had slightly more freedom, like not even a lot, just a bit more freedom to be SOAS, week two, like he, uh, he has been carrying from the second game of week two all the way up until the last game with Royal. Like SOAS did immensely good and Fnatic has always had the problem of not being able to identify where the strength is and playing to it they keep insisting on playing on the bottom lane play for Reckless make him be the superstar which normally wouldn't be a bad thing it's just it's not happening Reckless is not being that all-star superstar carry he's just being a carry and, and sometimes just a mediocre carry it's not like, because for example, on the enemy team you had Royal, you had Uzi, which people were convinced that they, that uh, RNG would do a similar thing as Fnatic and then give all the money to and resources to Uzi, but that's not what was happening. Uzi was down to do his own thing. MLXG was just identifying where he needed to be on the map, and he would be there. He, if he needed to be top to prevent the gank, he'd be top to prevent the gank. If he had to invade the blue buff just to keep tabs on Broxa, he would invade it. If he needed to hold mid because Caps was getting slightly too forward, he would go. That's the big focus. Broxa was not doing much. And I don't know how much about that is him, how much about that is his team. But essentially, the first week, they left Soaz up to dry. They would set him up in situations where his only two possibilities were fail or fail even harder and even then he would take the lesser of two evils in that scenario and then this semi-final this quarterfinal came up and once you give soas just a little bit of more freedom he could win the game for you the the wins of fanatic the one win of fanatic came off of soas's back sure he died a lot but those deaths always meant something and looking forward i just hope fanatic diversify themselves a bit more like caps i don't know what's going on with him i don't know if he's always this tipsy-turvy like he's topsy-turvy he's always either mediocre or good or bad or all three at once all three in the same game yeah you just can't tell you never tell what you can never tell what's going to happen with caps and more often than not it's a lot more disappointing than it has any right to be so I just hope that going forward, Fnatic makes a couple of stylistic changes more than roster changes. Because 
there's nothing inherently wrong with the five players they have, other than they just don't play to what they should play to. And on the other hand, MLXG just walked all over them. He just he did whatever he wanted for a couple of games. And if that keeps happening, then, well, you know, 19 2 and 5 Cogmaw happens. Yeah. It's. It's it's insane. I, I I think Uzi certainly is. It has proven that he can more than hold his own. And I think. Which, by the way, to- I note that nineteen two and five Kogma game that inevit- that they did win. Fnatic did win. By the way, was quite possibly some of the funnest way to shut down an AD carry I've ever seen. <laughs> it was literally run around him, wait till his W is down, fight, and then run around him again. It was some of the best thought out strategies I've ever seen I don't know who came up with that but kudos that was brilliant yeah uh, he, he he's just so much fun to watch and I, I think the intelligence that they're showing and playing around him is something that's going to stick with this royal team as they get into this upcoming semi-final series uh, it does seem like MLXG has been this great uh, initiator and, and great at sacrificing his own resources when needed to to be what his team needs him to be, as you pointed out. And I, I think that that's something that they're absolutely going to depend on. Uh, how worried should we be that their early game and some of their wave management, you know, kind of warding, these kind of essential fundamental things that we think about when we look at uh, what we want to see from a top four team, those haven't necessarily been there. And is is that one of those things that against SKT is going to be this fatal flaw that keeps RNG from being able to take advantage of some of the kind of compositional and, and positional mismatches that they might have otherwise? I'm glad that you answered it, that you questioned it that way, because that is exactly the problems that uh, RNG are going to have to face, and why why keep people keep insisting on that RNG has a solid chance against SK Telecom in that way, it can it surprises me. Not because RNG could not do it, because they have the tools to do it. Like Let Me has had a good world, Xiao who's playing very well, Uzi can either go off or be irrelevant. But the biggest glaring issues Royal has had in their mid game forward is exactly the issues that SK Telecoms knows how to take advantage of. You hardly ever see teams pushing into SK Telecom with sidewave control. Why? Because SK Telecom is so good at doing just enough damage to the waves to be like, okay, I have pressure building from my end to theirs. What, what SK Telecom likes to do, and it sometimes shows in their CS numbers, is they will leave just enough minions alive on the side lane to where the slow push will start, but it will be slower than what normal slow pushes would be like. For example, say a minion wave collides in bottom at red team's second tier turret, which is destroyed. There's no second tier turret. Minions collide at bottom. So naturally, the blue, mi- the red team's minions would come, would meet up with the wave closer. So instead of doing what most teams do, which is clear half the wave or clear the entire wave and let the minions group and push, what SKT does is they take two minions off that wave. Two. So that the, so that instead of one wave grouping with another wave, it'll collect up to three waves and then push forward. Or they'll just clear the wave and let... and uh, and they'll clear the wave before the minions collide. Straight up just letting the minion wave walk through. That would instantly trigger people to like, hey, we need to deal with bottom. And then the enemy team is disjointed. The SK Telecom is amazing at playing from behind. There is no team that will play from behind as well as SK Team can. And while while I do not doubt that RNG can get early leads, they are probably not fit to get enough of a lead to shut down SK Telecom. And I don't see why people think that uh, they will simply just... They do have a chance based on you know what we've seen from Worlds so far. If that's the RNG, if the RNG that played against Fnatic is the same RNG that plays against SK Telecom, they stand zero chance 
to to beat them. They could beat them maybe one game off of UZI popping off or a, or Xiaohu getting a right pick and being able to roam and do his thing. But I don't see that happening. Uh, I'm personally I predicted a three zero for SK Telecom in that case. I just think that they're that much better equipped at and their late game team fighting. I mean, oh my god, there is no team that will. They make 10k deficit, 10k deficits look like nothing just because they're that good at team fighting. So I, I don't see it, and I simply think it'll be a one-sided affair. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things where SKT struggled so much in the early game, especially early on in this tournament. So people were kind of left with this idea of like, oh well, Royal has this super aggressive team. They're going to be able to jump all over them. They'll get these early kills, and snowballing has been such an effective way to close out these games. But when I watched these games against Fnatic, it felt like every single one of them went way longer than they had any right to. Uh, specifically, you know, we, we, we've talked before, and, and it's widely kind of accepted that after two Barons have been taken, your win rate actually lowers because if you need more than two barons to close out a game there are other problems that you're having that are very exploitable and rng needed three barons in uh match one and match two and then of course in game four they gave up two barons and had to kind of endure that and, and to me that speaks to an inability to make the most out of the uh, weapons that they do acquire because they don't set themselves up to actually take advantage of them. And you can't do that against SKT. You can't afford to waste a Baron when you get it because SKT will undercut every chance you had to get something out of it and they're just going to keep giving themselves opportunities to close that gap and against someone that is as good as Faker uh, and as intelligent as this whole team is and finding those openings and taking advantage of them when they come. That... I, I agree with you. That feels almost like a, a death sentence here if that's where Royal continues to be. So we've got to see some growth on that regard. Another team I think is going to need to show a lot of growth this week if we're going to believe that they can hold up is Team WE. I, I mean, what, what was your take on that series? Because I, I kind of struggle to come up with coherent words as to how I'm left feeling about both of these teams in what was a very sloppy series in my mind. What did you take away from this? Uh, never changed cinched. <laughs> really the only take I can have on this series. Probably the weirdest series of, of the whole bunch. Um, even weirder than Samsung 3 owing Longzhou because that at least has a valid reasoning to it. You know, just ambition doing ambition things. This one, I don't know. I was watching it, and it was like... I couldn't tell if it was Cloud9 overperforming or WE underperforming. Because if you look at it just from a team matchup, this is much more in favor in WE than it is for C9. Uh, but I just... I I don't know. I really don't know how to put it. I just need to... 957 had a varying degree of success, like... His Maokai was just atrocious. It was, whoa. But then his Cho'Gath and his... Um, it's like his Cho'Gath and his Gnar, especially his Gnar that last game, he did work. 957 was having a good series for the majority, just that one game was kind of off. GA... He was doing his he was doing his thing for the majority of the thing. He was, he was pretty good. But then I look at... I look at C9's side, and I think... Obviously, aside from the singed on the impact on singed, there's not a lot you can talk about. Contracts had a as a decent series, uh, but I think the first of all, the Aurelian Soul game, it, it just did not make sense to me. Just no, I get I get the roaming aspect of it, and that's probably what they were going for. It just didn't work. There's way too much movement, and there's way too much protection for a Kogma for that to ever work. But then you put Jensen on Oriana, and he goes off. So. I think the best thing I can take away from here from WE is that Condi was not bad. Like Condi did a majority of the things right, and it came down to minor execution issues here and there that led C9 to being able to capitalize on on 
uh, turrets and being able to win teamfights handedly sometimes. But the reason I want to go in on Condi specifically is because the matchup in the semifinal that awaits us is Ambition versus Condi. Ambition's style was basically very in-your-face, very, I have to know where the enemy jungler is and I have to fight him. But WE has never shied away from picking, pushing lanes. They, you've seen them pick the Corky many times, the Talias. They have no problem going with uh, pushing lanes in top with Gnar either, with Cho'Gath. So, this, while we would, while on paper we would think, okay, the Team WE has many issues that they would need to fix, stylistically, this is a good matchup for them. Against any of the other teams, WE would be in a pickle. But against a team that specifically focuses on moving their jungler forward, that will cost Samsung. I'm predicting it will definitely cost them a couple of deaths early on, and perhaps even a couple of games. Too much so that I'm. it's not out of the realm that Team WE does indeed beat Samsung, because again, Samsung is that unpredictable team. Yeah. I Aside from that, there's not much I can add. I mean, Sneaky was having solid series, I think. Like, he was playing... His Caitlyn was not great. It's, it's definitely not that I think about it. It's also, one thing I do want to say about the entire quarterfinals is Bantrasana. Because she has won many more games than she had any right to have won. Turns out Tristan is really good. Turns out having something, someone that can tear down towers really quickly and has a built-in escape uh, and has that utility in the ultimate, these are all really nice things to have in this meta. And, and I, I do agree that's something that I think teams should focus on a little bit more. It, it's, it's one of those things where it's, it's funny that you talk about Sneaky's Caitlyn not being very good because people will point to, oh, but he set the record for the most damage permitted of any uh, player at Worlds ever. But, yeah, and he lost that game. Yeah, and he lost the game. It, and that's the thing I, I think that a lot of people are missing when they focus in on those numbers. People really want to give Sneaky praise because they love him as a personality and because you know Cloud9 has a very passionate fan base. And you know I, I do think that maybe I've underrated him a bit in the past. Uh, I, I tend to kind of have him slightly outside of my top three in NA, and maybe that's not fair. But I, I, I think that there is... A, maybe an overzealousness that we see when people try to you know put him down as like oh yes this is this is the time in which sneaky can be jensen's number two carry and cloud nine takes this massive leap and it just seems like consistently enough the, the games in which cloud nine really look their best are when they're getting that top lane pressure when they, when impact is able to shut down that enemy tank and when he's able to use his globals to really exert that map pressure um, and so I hope that people start giving that the credit that it deserves and, and maybe, you know, we evaluate Sneaky for all of the pros and cons rather than just the couple of, of nice games that, that we see every now and then. I, I do want to, before we wrap up on, on this series, to me, I, I think that Team WE had very similar issues to the ones that we described with RNG in terms of manipulating their waves well they, they seemed like they were a bit overzealous in, in their losses and trying to pick fights without having established that proper vision uh, without necessarily having the towers to back them up uh, do you think that that kind of riskier you know f you know skirmish as much as possible play style is something that helps them when you look at their matchup against samsung or, or do you think that some of those fundamental issues uh, might come back to bite them here, uh, even with the kind of pushing lanes that, as you mentioned, are going to give them a good stylistic opportunity. Uh, again, that falls more under Samsung than it does under WE, because we already know how WE are probably going to approach the game versus Samsung. They're going to approach it similarly, pushing lanes, lots of skirmishes, Fights around dragons and barons and vision. A vision around baron, I mean. Not necessarily vision in enemy jungle, just precisely around baron. We know that WE is going to approach this. We don't know how Samsung is going to approach this. Because like, we, like I mentioned before, Ruler is either god of kiting or he walks into melee range of Galios and that will tilt me forever. So 
the onus on this on that series is 100% on Samsung and how they'll approach it. Similar to it's it's always going to be a tough call because WE's issues mid and late they're issues we've seen before they're issues we see with a lot of teams and while LCK teams have been proven that they could take advantage of these issues that they can um, stall out that they can hold vision that their late game vision control is much better that they control side lanes better especially when you have people like Kuve who can set up waves correctly uh, and have his global pressure especially if you give him Shen it does not necessarily translate as well into teams who will fight you a lot more. The team is constantly fighting you, keeping you in within their vision, keeping you under control simply by fighting you. You know at all times what that team is going to do next because once the fight is over, regardless of what happens, regardless of who wins, you probably know the immediate next step. For example, they're fighting for Dragon. Uh, Samsung manages to kill one and forces all of WE off. So WE immediately knows... Samsung's going to do the dragon and either move back to their lanes to get one last push in or immediately recall. That moment, you have to set up uh, a couple of uh, wards around the other side of the map, around the Baron area, around Herald in that case, if Herald is up, or set up vision in the mid lane that Samsung would not be prepared for. You know what I mean? So it's not necessarily much of WE's problem in early mid. Probably mid game would still be fine. Late game, if it gets there... I think Samsung still has the edge because despite Ruler having his issues, uh, Kuve and uh, Core JJ are still amazing team fighters. They could probably swing it their way. I would like to take this series back to you, though, the C9 series, because you've probably watched a lot more NALCS than I have. <laughs> I barely watch. I barely had time to catch the playoffs as it is. Yeah. Did you think the contracts and impact uh, 2v2 laning versus Condi 957. Do you think that went exactly to how Contract and Impact would regularly play this? Or do they not play together at all? Or does Contracts focus more on Jensen? How does that uh, top side of the map actually work out often? Yeah, well, I- I'm glad you asked because this is actually what I wrote my article about for Unicorn last week. Um, throughout the regular season and in the NALCS playoffs, I, I think they really struggled because contracts was trying to play the kind of tankier junglers that would have the more utility in the mid to late game fights they were still kind of acting like a tsm light when it came to how they approached the game and impact was having a very hard time getting momentum underneath him he was playing much more passively and so it started in the regionals where they really went to focus on how can we get contracts a lead because when Contracts is playing one ahead, he is such a more confident player. Uh, so how do we get him that kind of advantage? And how do we get Impact to have the freedom that we can start taking advantage of his expertise in, in getting those globals? And I, I think that overall, Cloud9 succeeded at that. I, I think that those were the two players that, to me, stood out the most in terms of giving this team opportunities to succeed. Uh, you know, when when they get those 2v2s going and they could really punish 957. That's when WE had a very hard time because the tank front line wasn't there for the skirmishes that they wanted. And you had this ability for the rest of Cloud9 to really take advantage. But it did lead them to this point where when Impact couldn't get a lot of a lead or when Contracts was caught out by some of the things that Condi was doing and they couldn't get through that that early game as well as they'd like, that's when Cloud9 seems to crumble. Because when they don't have that momentum, when they don't have those early game advantages, impact and contracts just can't get anything going. And I, I think that ultimately that's something where it was probably the right approach to this series as a whole. I, I think that 957 was, of the three lanes, the most exploitable. Uh, in terms of trying to get advantage and in terms of trying mm-hmm. to get a lead that can then translate into those mid-game objectives. So I think it was the right play. I really like the singed pick to directly take advantage of some of 957's worst laning habits. But it's one of those things where I'm not I'm not sure how many seasons Impact has left in him. Cloud9's going to keep him as long as he wants to be there. But if we hear news in late November 
that he's considering retirement and cloud nine has reached out to the newly uh free agent someday this is something i've been throwing around in the in, in the discord this is my conspiracy theory cloud nine someday just makes so much sense with how they want to play the game uh, oh god it, it'd be fun they just got 25 mil right let's spend that yeah. wwe money yeah, let's get it happen yeah. um someday needs a good home i want someday to be uh, happy and, and, and frolicking in the NALCS um, moving forward. So I, I think that we, we've broken down all, all of these matchups pretty thoroughly, and we've really looked at kind of how these semifinals stylistically match up. Uh, how, how much do you like the, the gambling side of things, heck, out of curiosity? Because as you know, on this pod, I tend to try to frame things through unicorns betting lines here. Uh, I would have lost all of my money by now. <laughs> that's that's very fair. Especially oh. on the long juice Samsung game, I would have bet because that's such an easy call to make if you look it look at it on paper. Hmm. But Samsung just took up that paper, burnt it, and then buried the ashes. <laughs> God, that was which yeah, it's really fun when you don't have money on the game. Not so oh, much yeah. uh, if you did. Um, so so yeah, let's uh, so I guess get, uh, we're you know SKT versus RNG. This is the first of the semifinals here. What do you think ultimately decides this series, and what's your final prediction on it? I'm predicting a three-zero in favor of SKT. I'm predicting that first game will probably be a feeling out game for SKT. Like they'll feel out. Uh, RNG and what RNG can do. They leave in, They might even leave up picks like um, uh, Tristana or Kogma up just to you know give it to them and be like, okay, bring me your best. And they'll and SKT will pick up a very safe lineup. If RNG win that game, SKT will immediately adapt and not let them win anymore again. I'm predicting three zero, and people will think the series is closer because like RNG will get multiple leads early. Or they'll you know get into mid game stronger and they'll win a couple of fights, but ultimately, I'm guessing the games will go to late game and SKT will eventually win all of them. Yeah, that's that's ultimately where I, I kind of end up as well. I, I have it as a three one just because I think RNG is going to sneak one with some godlike Uzi game if they can somehow get him going and and you know enough that they can close out before that you know thirty thirty five minute mark. But this is an SKT victory to me as well. It just feels like. They're so much better at the macro, and if this was uh, like the group stage where we were coming off of these games in which RNG wasn't letting teams get to that point because they were so efficient in closing them out, that would be one thing. But I I really do feel like we saw enough issues in in how they prepped for waves and and not being able to take advantage of the Barons when they were able to take them. SKT is just going to punish that so hard. Um, and, And the Casino... I, it, it's surprising. I, I don't think they're giving SKT enough credit, which is great for us if we're looking for value. They have SKT as 1.59 favorites uh, with Royal at, at 2.30. Uh, to, to put that in, in parlance terms, SKT are slight favorites. They're, they're favored enough that they're clearly, uh, clearly there, but not by too much. It, it's like a close enough series that, that they're kind of hedging their bets there. Uh, if you like where I'm coming from and you want to take a little bit of value here, SKT to get minus one and a half is at 2.30. That is a ton of value in my opinion because I think a 3-1 or better is very likely and you get more than your money back uh, in terms of winnings is just absurd uh, to me in that mm-hmm. lane. And if you're like heck and, and you see the stylistic matchup as something that gives SKT just the pure dominance um, you can get two, uh, minus two and a half at 4.75. So you can get 4.75 times your money back if SKT can pull that off. And I Damn, think that I that's... I take you up on that. Yeah, that's pretty good. Like, that's absolutely in play. I, I feel like that's, that is a lot of value there. So that's, those are the, the two bets, I think, with those handicaps that I would absolutely look into if you're a listener at home that wants to find some sweet, sweet value. Uh, let's let's look at this last series, WE versus Samsung. I, I think that we've spent a lot of time talking about how the stylistic matchups between these two teams uh, is is really going to come down to how Samsung is, is able to adapt. Uh, 
where do you ultimately think this lands, Hack, and, and, and what brings you to that conclusion at the end of the day? I Ultimately, I'm going to go with a 3-2 in favor of Samsung. Specifically 3-2 because I do feel like they will drop the ball, especially Ambition. Mm-hmm. I don't think that um, Ambition will be able to deal with uh, WE's pushing lane immediately. And as a matter of fact, I'd go one deeper. I'd say Samsung reverse sweep it because I think that uh, once uh, Ambition and Kuve realize that the whole invading and keeping them at bay does not work, Ambition will take the other approach he usually takes, which is just keep Kuve safe and let Kuve carry for you, mm. which is probably what's going to end up happening. I, I do predict that it'll it'll probably be the closer of the two, definitely. Well, no, it'll definitely be the closer of the two. Or should be, again. You never know with Samsung. Like, for all we know, Ambition could just walk all over WE and this conversation is absolutely meaningless. But I do think that Ruler and Mystic are pretty even. Uh, Mystic is perhaps slightly more consistent, so I'd say Mystic is better. Korja J and Ben, I'd probably say it favors Ben slightly. And Shahu and Crown, I'd say that's probably even if Crown stays at the level he's at now. And it'll ultimately fall on Ambition to win or lose that game for Samsung. Yeah, I, I think that's very fair. Uh, I have it as a, a 3-1 just because I, I think that Cloud9 so clearly gave Samsung the blueprint as to how you can attack this WE team. You know, especially I, I think Cuve versus 957 can become a mismatch rather quickly. Um, it, absolutely, it is in play that there's uh, some mismanagement on that side from the Samsung coaches. As you've pointed out in the LCK, there have been consistency issues. And WE has enough talent that if, if Samsung is making drafting mistakes, if, they, if they're not playing to, uh, to counter this you know, heavy pushing lane style that WE is bringing... Uh, absolutely could start to spiral away from them. I, I just think that Team WE to me showed a lot of sloppiness that I think Samsung does very well with. If, if they don't have the vision to support the plays that they're going for, uh, Samsung's ability to roam defensively, uh, I, I think will come through. Uh, I don't I, I definitely think it's going to be the closer of the two. Unfortunately, well, or I should say fortunately for us, Unicorn doesn't agree. Uh, Unicorn has Samsung right now at 1.36 favorites, which means they think Samsung wins this series 73.5% of the time. That seems very high to me. Like, e- even as someone who likes Samsung a little bit more than you, that seems pretty high. I doubt that. On t- I My banner on Twitter is the Samsung roster of 2016. That's fair. You do not like Samsung more than I do. <laughs> I, the great installation enthusiast, and Kuve is my dad. <laughs> That's You're, you're right. I, I apologize. I, I met in this series. I absolutely should have specified uh, this. Yes. But yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right on that. I, I do think uh, if you believe this is going to go to five games, uh, first of all, Team WE is 3.00 to win this series, so you can get triple your money back. That seems pretty solid. Uh, I also like, uh, if you think this is going to go to five maps like heck, uh, 2.90 for the over four and a half maps. That's very much in play. Uh, And I I think those are the two places you're going to find the most value because I I do think Team WE can win this series. Um, I I think that, as you've pointed out, there are a lot of stylistic things that Samsung are going to have to prove that they can overcome if they're going to come out on top here. And just because they had this amazing series against Longju does not mean necessarily that they're going to be uh, nearly as clean in, in this matchup. So it's it's certainly going to be very interesting to see how these teams come through. And uh, it has been awesome to get to talk to you heck, uh, today. Thank you so much for coming on to the show. Uh, if people want to uh, talk to you about anything you said today or, or follow your work, where can the nice people at home find you? Well, you can find me on Skype at Heckmeister. You'll find me. And on Twitter at Heckmeister with an I. And if you want to talk about anything Samsung, you can find me at my house. Come to Mallorca <laughs> in Spain. I will talk to all about I'll talk to you all about Samsung all day, every day. And I just hope Samsung proves me wrong 
and smashes in that series because god forbid they need it yeah this is this does feel like there's the setup for like oh yeah maybe korea is not as strong as we thought and then this week they just get a couple really big blowouts and we're like oh yeah korea is still korea um you can find me at redshirt king uh i uh, love keeping these conversations going so definitely reach out uh if you want to talk also in the comment section i read every one so uh so please do let me know what you think of this and also uh if you want to come join our discord uh it's been a very active discord recently as this world stuff is coming to a close and i do watch uh the games live on there if you'd like to kind of enjoy the memeing and analysis that comes with that in tow so uh come back next week where we're going to break down the what should be a very exciting world championship finals and until next time goodbye internet